space this morning if you respect the pumps you gotta respect the dumps i'm sorry to say it's just true okay respect the pumps respect the dumps everything is good volatility is a feature it's not a bug and today of course um we're discussing something that usually uh, a volatility doesn't have it certainly market cycles have an effect on but volatility is not the main thing uh, we're not talking about the leverage trading where we all like to gamble and put 200 times leverage on some of the most volatile assets in the world and watch our money go zing um, today we're talking about stuff that's a little bit more stable a little bit more refined we're going to replace the future of banking as we know it the future of finance we call it decentralized finance or DeFi for short. Um, this space is brought to you free of charge by the good folks at MC Square Finance. MC Square Finance is building the future of asset management on the blockchain. So portfolio management, um, index funds, ETFs, all of those type of things can and will be done on the blockchain in a way that is completely self-custodial and blockchain agnostic. Um, and so if you have, this is the, if this is your first time joining an MC Square Finance space, let me tell you, you're in for a treat. Um, our team always does the very best to bring in uh, some of the most renowned and uh, out bespoke um, experts in each and every um, topic that we discuss. And uh, hats off to everybody here. So uh, without further ado, let's uh, have uh, some of our uh, esteemed guests introduce themselves uh starting with uh daniel daniel how's it going where are you in the world um what you up to and, and and what are you working on hey thanks for having me on today i really appreciate it i am in the states enjoying uh about a 10 degree uh chill snap i just got back from florida which is not pleasant so you know i'm reacclimating. And uh, of course, you know, watching the market as well and having some fun building some technology. So uh, I am the uh, co-founder of Flux, uh, run on Flux.io. If you're interested, decentralized compute network. Um, it's hard to say that you're DeFi if you run on AWS. So if you're listening to this, stop, just stop, get some help, like the Michael Jordan meme. So looking forward to the event. Awesome. I'm going to check out the website uh, just now. Apologies for any background noise. My kids are playing hide and seek at the moment. Uh, Wolf Web Three, good to see you, buddy. How's it going? Going good, guys. Going good. I uh, I woke up to the alert to the to the space, and I was like, I definitely did not time this properly. I was like, I had this in my calendar for later today, but 
I'm glad it's six. Uh, it's early here in uh, in Los Angeles. I'm excited to be here with you guys and obviously chat some DeFi. But yeah, man, everything is uh, everything is good. I'm excited for this space. Nice. The the early wolf gets the worm. <laughs> Let's go. Uh, I I I I apologize. I mean, we've been on so many spaces together already. What I, what's your first name? Or are are you a, are you a doc? Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, yeah. I'm Doc. My first name is da- is David. Dave. David. Okay, that's what I thought. I just wasn't sure. So good. Uh, good to have you here with us. Um, I'm sure you're going to have a lot to contribute to this conversation as well. Speaking with some of uh, the most knowledgeable people on a regular basis. Um, and then uh, we have a few platforms uh, with us. So uh, Dexy Protocol, would you like to introduce yourself and, uh, and Dexy? I'm sorry, Dexy's in the listener mode. You're more than welcome to come up if you like. Um, just request the mic. Um, Open Ocean. How's it going? Hey, how's it going? Good afternoon. Uh, hello from a very, very windy uh, United Kingdom. We've just had a massive storm roll through, so all the fence panels are all over the road and stuff. Um, my name's Guy. I uh, work on the BD and Growth team here at Open Ocean. Um, quick TLDR for Open Ocean: We're one of the widest reaching uh, Dex aggregators in the space. So we do uh, Dex aggregation amongst like V2 pools, V3 pools, order books, all in one harmonious transaction across. 35 plus different blockchains and we pull from over 1000 plus uh, unique liquidity sources so for your on-chain trading needs open ocean has got you covered and it's uh, great to be here today looking forward to talking DeFi and everything crypto so thanks for having us on amazing okay and anyway, so we have dexy up now uh dexy go ahead and introduce yourself hey man yeah so now that i'm off mic uh off mute uh hi i'm david from dexy we are a DAO builder DAO governance platform obviously lots of interlap between DAOs and DeFi. so i'm mostly going to listen but we'll chime in every once in a while i'm kind of just working out right now but um why not why not also listen to some cool DeFi talk and and maybe even participate cheers Beautiful. Yep. Spaces is the new radio. Um, into the block. How's your day going? Yeah, great. Here, yeah, thanks for th- thanks for having us here. And um, uh, contrary to to the rest here, the weather here is great in Spain. We're having a little bit of an early summer, so uh, very happy with that. And um, yeah, about into the block, uh, we are best known for our on-chain analytics. So all kinds of insights uh, you can get it into the block. And in the DeFi space. What we do, uh, it has to do a lot with DeFi for institutional clients. Uh, so that's uh, quant trading, uh, risk management, and things like that. Sorry for the little pause. I was actually just sharing out the space on my feed, which I absolutely encourage every single one in here of you, uh, every single uh, every single one of you in here to do. Um, so please go ahead and click the share buttons. There's a bunch of them. Uh, along the bottom uh, so you just choose whichever type and whichever way you want to share it depending on which type of groups you're sharing it in um, if it's on whatsapp or telegram or discord or on your website mail carrier pigeon you know whatever it is get the word out make sure that people come on in here um, and listen to you and listen to uh, you talking about uh, your project i'm sure that many other people who are working on the same thing as you probably also want to hear you talking and exploring with other like-minded individuals. One of the awesomest things about DeFi in general that I that I like 
is that there's so much room for cross collaboration. There's so much room for, you know, it's not like, you know, uh, traditional uh, finance and traditional markets where like each, each, each uh, group is a company and that's like a, a body and it's separate from the other company. In DeFi, I found that, you know, because we're talking about networks, right? Networks can communicate with another network um, much more fluidly and much more compatibly. And we can all uh, move forward together because taking on, you know, some of these big dirty uh, institutions is not going to be easy. Um, and we got to, we got to, we got to work together. We got to do it together. We got to pull together. And um, so just one more thing before I introduce Chris, um, please do not wait for your turn. Just go ahead and speak up whenever you like. We don't need to put up hands. Uh, if two people start talking at the same time, usually whoever started talking first will go. Um, and then if there's an argument, um, you know, and people are like talking over each other or something, it rarely happens, but it does, it does happen every once in a while around here. I don't know why just people get heated about, you know, protocols and whatnot. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, that sounded silly coming out of my mouth. Uh, it does happen. And, and that's the only situation where I'll really step in as a moderator, but I'd really like to keep the conversation free flowing as it goes and not have to hand the mic around like a babysitter. Uh, without further ado, uh, Chris Richter, co-founder of MC Square Finance. How's your day going, man? Hey guys, great to be here again. The day is so far going great. For us, it's uh, very cold here. We are in the in the mountains, in the Alps. It has like minus eight degrees now, but it's a beautiful day and it's a perfect day for sitting at the computer, coding and building and preparing the next big wave of DeFi and the blockchain. Beautiful, beautiful. So who would like to kind of set the stage for us Tell us what is DeFi and how did we get to this point? Where are we in relation to where we were 10 years ago, five years ago, and even just like 2021 DeFi summer? Where are we now in relation to all of those things? I think the level of um, infra, the amount of... Um, you know, especially nowadays, like like sort of closer, especially in 23 and, and looking forward towards 2024, we've seen over the past couple of years, like how DeFi has evolved in terms of uh, the cooperation between platforms, uh, especially from like looking at it from like a BD and growth perspective, right? We team up, we're, like, we're working with over 50 different unique protocols, and that's, that's just ones who have joined in like, the last six months. But now like the individual person has so much power, like you have so much choice as well, um, especially where you transact your DeFi. You know, we're, we're kind of like spoiled for choice, whereas, you know, roll the clock back, you know, we mainly had uh, Ethereum and a couple other platforms, but now, you know, you, you have almost um, the, the full capability to do lending on, on whatever change you choose you know whether it's phantom or manta network or scroll um, and you can do derivatives perps you know um the, the amount of possibilities on chain that we have now compared to when we did earlier on in the space um i think has been amazing and the, the amount of like high level infra that we've seen roll out uh, especially over the last year has been great to see so you know more power to the people i'm concerned awesome anybody else want to chime, chime in i like to be the contrarian of the group and say that I don't think, I, you know, I, I think there are some amazing things that are coming out of DeFi, but I think we need to spend more time 
really focusing on what makes DeFi unique, and that's the fact that it runs on decentralized infrastructure. Um, you know, it's, it's very difficult because really what we have right now is, let's say, you know, uh, it was called fintech before, and now it's DeFi, but it but it all resides or runs on centralized systems and has you know certain individuals. I mean, you look at the hacks that we've seen; it's ridiculous. Um, you know, these bridges that have been drained and so on and so forth. So I think we've done a really good job of explaining why DeFi will be important in the in the future. The problem is, is we're not working on the technology, the backbone that really makes it makes it that way, and, and it really leaves us susceptible to. Uh, regulation it it leaves us susceptible to constant hacks um coming from a cio background it's all about infrastructure and then you build your technology set on top of that yeah you can have mvps and you can have you know uh built products that are running you know test environments but we've never gotten to the point where we started to migrate these things from web 2 to web 3 like true web 3 what web 3 you know depends so to speak um, so I think we need to do a better job with that. So, so, you know, touting these different protocols or talking about these different protocols that are really just centralized entities in the end uh, is doing a disservice to to DeFi overall. So I think we need to work hard on that. I think we've done a really good job with starting to make the user inter interface and experience look a little bit more like conventional finance. Um, but that's going to take time and that's the easiest part by the way <laughs> because it already exists so uh really looking forward to people starting to really look at how they can build it out in a truly decentralized manner um and that's kind of what we've been working on at flux for the past six years um is we want to provide that that infrastructure for those products to run in a truly decentralized man manner and it's being it's being embraced more and more every day um whether you're running it on Flux or Akash or some of these other decentralized networks, you're getting it to the point where it's not controlled by, uh, you know, individuals of the project or as we found out with AWS multiple times where they just don't like something and they shut you down. Um, you know, if AWS goes down and your project goes down, you're not DeFi. So that's the one way I look at it. So I always like to be the contrarian. I like to bring up the things that we're not doing well. <laughs> and I, but I think we're doing a lot. Uh, that's a positive as well. I mean, that's that's a very good point. That's something that's uh, that's been on my mind for a long time. Actually, uh, personally, I've run a, a flux node for the past two, three years, or something like that. And um, I mean, it's it's an obvious problem with DeFi. And I'm curious, Daniel, what do you think is the reason why not more of these protocols are switching over to a form of decentralized hosting of like nodes and things like that? I think it's I think it's simplicity. We've got we're we're kind of creature creatures of comfort. Um, it's easier to spin something up that you've already know how to do and then deploy. Um, the issue is we've got to get out of that. You know, we can't call ourselves disruptive technology and be complacent with where we're at um, from a technological standpoint. I mean, it, you know, we should be iterating to the next version. You're only as decentralized as your most centralized point and i think what happens is we have people these refugees uh from web 2 these legacy financial folks that they've done it this way forever and i think that's their transition and um you know as we found out with the you know ftx debacle and so on and so forth you know allowing these entities these uh, these you know refugees from uh legacy finance to to control these pieces is going to be detrimental to us across the board so you know i think it, it's an education piece, too. I think we need to educate people more that, hey, 
uh, D-Pin really is e as easy to use. To launch something on Flux, a uh, few clicks and you're ready to roll. Uh, we've, we've seen a large influx, no pun intended, of projects that are already working on decentralization and they want to stand up their node network or their infrastructure. Maybe it's even a website you know, they want to run uh, that's decentralized. So as they become more comfortable with that, I think it's a natural um, it's a natural transition from web to infrastructure. And I tell everybody, I'm like, look, don't tune everything up tomorrow on Flux. Leave, leave it on web two and slowly migrate uh, your, your, your infrastructure over to Flux. And then eventually what you'll find is it's much easier, it's much cheaper, it's much more. The uptime is like we've got a 99.9% percent uptime over the past two years, which is phenomenal. Um, so I think there's there's tons of value there, but I think people need to get comfortable with it. Much like, you know, on-prem initially was, you know, the way to go. I had my data servers in my location and then along comes Web2, AWS is the Azure's, the Google's. And it's like, OK, now I got to transition to this Web2 scenario and somebody else is going to have my server and there was a huge um, issue of comfort with that. So I think comfort comes as well. Um, and the fact that blockchain technology overall is, is fairly new technology, like up till two years ago when somebody would, the number one question I would be asked is what does blockchain do? Well, we're giving many examples of what blockchain does, but if we continue to let things ride on that web two infrastructure, we're not really truly blockchain. I like your point of moving things that people basically recreate Web2 in a Web3 environment. And I think uh, one of the surprising discoveries in the last months is actually, if you look into um, Uniswap, how pools are working, they're actually nothing else than a centralized um, version of kind of a micro fund just uh, managing two assets. They're not really decentralized. So like even that the protocol is decentralized and the, the organization is a DAO, et cetera, still the, the product that was super successful is a centralized product on the chain. And there are now like different systems like resolvers, um, like CowSwap and others are doing, trying to find a new model that then decentralizes that as well. But it often is surprising to see how many things in Web3 we call decentralized, if you look at it detailed, are actually another centralized version in the decentralized world. Can I ask a yeah, question, uh, guys? That's a very, I just very ask, Sorry, Dan, I just want to ask a quick question. When you guys say decentralized, like how do we define, like when you guys say, def when we define these terms, right, centralized and decentralized, I feel like everybody has like, not a different definition, but it's almost like to a certain limit or to a certain extent. So I'm just curious, like, Daniel, you and Chris, you like, how do you guys actually define centralized and decentralized? This is, go ahead. I, I would say it very simple as um, something that doesn't have a single point of failure in any time. And uh, for me, it's, it doesn't matter like who shuts a part of it down, if it's the government, if it's tech, if it's hacker, if it's network connections, because half of the infrastructure runs on Mars. Um, as long as there is a single point of failure, it is not really truly decentralized. It doesn't matter if it's like organizational, technical, structure-wise, or connection-wise. So where's the point of failure in that Uniswap example, I guess, that you gave so I can better understand? The pool. If somebody hacks the pool because there's an error in the code, 
um, all the money is gone, the pool is gone. Yeah, Co-op yeah, also runs on AWS, the majority of it. Although it does run on Flux now. We do we we did deploy part of uh, Uniswap and SushiSwap on Flux. But so they're getting better. Um, I would just expand on what he was mentioning there as well. Um, I I think you look, need to look at this as almost like as a siloed approach because I think there's different levels to decentralization. Um, and when I say that decentralization. It, you know, no no single point of failure, but I think you need to look at your layer ones versus your layer two and your add-ons as well. There's always going to be iterative parts of a project where you're building toward a better level of decentralization. Take Flux, for instance, you know, uh, fork of Bitcoin, open source code. Uh, anyone can run it. Anyone can mine it. You can run nodes. It's permissionless across the board. Deployments are permissionless. There are some rules just because it's decentralized doesn't mean it's lawless. Um, so there are some components there, but then you start looking at your layer twos on top of that. You know, what, what are we doing and how are we building out, that out so it's more decentralized across the board? So I think what it comes down is decentralization has been used as a buzzword for, for a long time. Uh, people just slap the word decentralized on it and all of a sudden people think that, you know, it is exactly that. And it's not. Um, I think we've been disrupted. Uh, the disruptors, which we are, right? Uh, whether you're fintech, DeFi, Web3, DPIN, whatever it is, we've been we've been disrupted by legacy finance, legacy technology. Uh, they came in and they started to build uh, and iterate. We've seen this, especially with the FTX debacle. Um, it's you want to talk, all that you talk about decentralization. We got mauled by web, uh, by legacy finance. I mean, really, that's what it comes down to. Um, so I think really what it is, is you, you have to have decentralization at your core. You have to realize that you have to iterate a pro product. So you have to build from the ground up and there will be centralized points. Uh, one of the problems we ran into is Flux is it's so hard to call us decentralized and then turn around and have uh, Google Authenticator as your multi-factor authentication network. So we ended up having to build a decentralized um, uh, uh, two-factor authentication. Is it something that we wanted to do? No, but if we want to call ourselves decentralized, you have to have these options for folks. How, how conducive really is that to like, to getting really, not them, I don't want to say the masses because I hear that every day, but like, to like, in, like for people to actually adopt something, right? Do you like, don't we think that it's a lot? I mean, there has to be some sort of like a transition period to where, because I know for myself, when I think of DeFi, right? Or I think of just like the basic blockchain, I do everything in crypto now, right? Like for me, everything is crypto. I hate the banking system. I got, I got, I wanted to get as far away as I could from TD Bank, Bank of America, and fucking Chase. Obviously, I still have things I need to do with these banks or whatever, but. For me, like, obviously, like, I consider myself a little bit crazy, right? Like, all of us in here are a little bit crazy, given how early we are. But when I tell this to, like, other people, and I'm like, look at what you can do out here, it's really, really hard for them to understand. So, Daniel, the more layers of decentralization, quote, that, that, that we implement is, in my opinion, I feel like we're adding more complexity for new people to kind of understand how this whole thing works. Does that make sense? I, I, think, I think it does. Sorry. Yeah, I, I think things have, have been getting uh, much less decentralized over the past years. So, I mean, this is the thing that we go through, right? Uh, if you go back more and more than last cycle, so 2017 or something, uh, we, like everything or the majority of things would be proof of work, extremely decentralized, not very efficient. 
and and from there on out we we started to try and improve things back then you know something like neo which had like 12 main nodes was crazy right for for the decentralized uh proponents and um and since then like right now you see that most of the layer twos probably have fewer nodes than that or similar amount of nodes um, and then all the d apps on top of that probably just have one or two so things got much less decentralized and and i, I think what we'll see is we'll get back to somewhere in the middle most likely like it's not the current state is probably not ideal but but super decentralized maybe provides too much complexity for for many users so we need to find a middle ground there yeah i'll expand on that too because i think i think it's important that we address you know kind of like an elephant in the room and that's the fact that we are we are creatures of habit we're very spoiled we've grown up in a first world economy the most of us I mean, you're talking about 2.5 billion people that are unbanked in the world today. Uh, underserved, a majority of them are in Africa, Asia, Latin America, the Middle East, so on and so forth. Um, we've been very blessed to have, if we want to use online banking. Now, that's been an iterative process. I remember, you know, I'm an old head, so I remember when credit cards came out. Everybody was blown away by how, okay, so how do these credit cards work? And what do I do with this? And how do I pay the bill? And what happens if somebody steals my card? That's just an afterthought. So there needs to be an ongoing adoption curve. And if you look at the adoption curve, the actual adoption curve that we're on, we're very early on. And we are the folks that are going to refine these technologies to the point where we're actually able to use them without thinking about them. My wife drives to the ATM. She puts her card in. She puts her pin in. She takes her cash and she drives off. She doesn't give a shit about any of the infrastructure, the billions of dollars of infrastructure that has been spent on the conventional legacy banking system that has built out the convenience for her to walk to walk up to that ATM and get her cash out. So it's our jobs to understand what the what the fundamental uh, infrastructure is, how to build it out appropriately, and then also to make it feel, look and feel like what we've already been using. Uh, we need to make sure that we understand that we're not building this for, for as you mentioned, uh, you know, uh, the, the, you know, uh, kind of like the go fuck yourself scenario, uh, you know what I mean? Like the, to the banking system, uh, you can do it because you have the education to and the acclimate to do it. So our goal is to get to that next set of scenarios where we provide these banking services um, to folks that desperately need them. Uh, you know, it, it really is just a process of education and also refinement. You can't expect something to be, uh, uh, you know, turnkey amazing day one when you're building something as disruptive as DeFi. Yeah. And I think that's exactly the point, right? It's the education and you we can't expect it to go from zero to a hundred so fast right like there has to be like this learning curve and i think that's pretty much we're pretty much at the beginning of this learning curve and that's why i said like i call us all crazies in here because it's like right now that's how we're kind of looked at and but at the end of the day yeah the education piece and listen things are we're going to make things we're going to break things and i think it's more the collaboration piece too of uh you know whether it's flux with you know however many nodes people are running i mean i think there needs to be the education piece first and foremost to educate the normies on exactly like what the hell is DeFi and why should i give a shit you know what i mean bingo 
I, I totally I agree with education, one of the key thing on the challenge. But I think what, one of the big vision is like I learned it from Pat McCormick that um, our goal is not to have 100% decentralization. Our goal is to have 100% choice, that everybody around the world has the ability to choose any financial instrument and structure they want to have and invest it, use it, consume it whenever they like. If they want to use a credit card, they should do so. If they want to use a QR code, pay with crypto, they should be able to do so at any time and anywhere. And um, I think if you look at the, the person, how we would imagine it through probably the next years, is not that there is a single wallet who will rule them all. Um, but rather that you will have different wallets. You have one in your chat messenger where you easily can send some small amounts when you like split the restaurant bill to your friends. You will have one that is like highly secure, probably a cold storage where you have your um, your investments stored where they like generate the yield by itself probably. And um, you have one for like, connecting to every cra crazy website a friend tells you um, because you want to try out new stuff and where you don't care if it's getting hacked or not. And um, I think this choice is very important, but this choice, as well as with all the different DeFi protocols and types out there, make it very complex to consume. And now since like the last big DeFi rush, I think, um, as you said, there's a lot of more protocols out and all the, the primitives, I think, are now visible that will be dominant in the blockchain space. Um, but that makes a big problem of like usability and simplicity. I think what's missing for educating, like it's always easy to say, oh, the other people should just learn what we are doing and everybody should read the Bitcoin standard to get started with. But um, most of the people in the world will never do so because they just don't care and they don't care about reading. I think that the blockchain space has to become simple and easy to use. And one thing that um, I often say is if a user, a typical normal user has to care what blockchain a protocol is running on, they will never be able to fully use the blockchain space. It will never become mass market. Only when typical users don't need to care anymore, we will be ready to become mass market product. Yeah, and, and on top of that, there's also, there's also things that might not be meant for the typical everyday retail user. Like, there's no situation I can imagine where I am educating my parents-in-law on how to restake your ETH and then use that as liquidity for a loan and then do some smart DeFi things with that, right? So there are certain things that either need to be simplified to a much, much larger level, the same way, you know, banks provide interest on your, on your savings account, or maybe there's a DeFi equivalent of that uh, without it being Celsius. Uh, and, um, and yeah, that, that doesn't involve educating people on all these details. If you want to send your parents an invite to uh, one of the Wolf Web 3 series, we got a iGen layer and uh, Ion protocol next week for uh, liquid staking derivatives. If you want to send them an invite. <laughs> yeah, I want to, yeah, I want to follow up with what Chris was saying, because I do agree with that I, uh, in, the, in the scenario, uh, the adoption curve and, and getting it more simplistic. I, I'm a firm believer that you really have adoption by two means. One is natural transition. So choice that's, 
kind of disguised as as Chris was alluding to that it's almost like a technology that's it's seamless they just kind of flow through it um, the user doesn't necessarily know the infrastructure that runs on the backside they just know that they're providing input that they choose to do but I think there's another one that comes into that and that's adoption by necessity and we haven't seen that uh, up till kind of recently where folks are whether they're being financially deplatformed or whether they're there's there's an event. Uh, let's hypothetically say that you know there's a black swan event. The U.S. economy crashes, and uh, you know you have like an almost an Argentinian moment where you know you have this. Uh, you know people start to all of a sudden realize that their money isn't really their money, and by the way, uh, the government can print as much of it as they fucking want, and you have to accept it. So uh, adoption by necessity. I mean, you look at maybe, you know, in Africa, you look at M-Peso, which is used with old cell phones to basically pay for products. Uh, that was by necessity because there's no banking structure there. So I think we need to keep in mind as we're building out these DeFi platforms, it's not necessarily just for the folks that are going to use it aggressively and seamlessly. It's going to be for the folks that use it from, an, from a necessity standpoint. So I, I honestly think that we're going to see an event, whether, you know, you look at Canada and the truckers, uh, which recently just got ruled as un, unconstitutional as of yesterday. Yay. Yay for that. Fuck Trudeau. Um, so I think in the end, I think we need to prepare ourselves for a deplatforming of that nature, whether it's a CBDC or a social credit score or something like that. We need to build up these financial uh, on ramps, off ramps and just general infrastructure to allow us to continue banking post bank, which is totally crazy. that I'm saying that, but I think you'll see that in my lifetime. So it could be interesting. It's and it all comes down at the end to uh, fuck Trudeau, doesn't it? That's just like the bottom line of every conversation um, that has to do with, <laughs> I, I like with DeFi. <laughs> and and yeah, if you're Canadian, I, I think you probably should. Yeah, I think literally the the entire uh, country is is with you at this point. As far as I, as far as everything I'm seeing, anyways. But what the heck do I know? Um, I've heard several people already on the space today. Um, saying that we need to make it more accessible. We need to like make, you know, um, what are, what are, what are some of what's, what are some of the barriers for, for newbies? Um, and, um, how do we go about like tackling those issues? How do we, how do we onboard the next billion people into DeFi? What are, what are the steps specifically, specifically, like what are, what are the hindrances and what are the steps that we need to take in order to get there? We gotta simplify this whole. We gotta figure out how to simplify. Like, like these guys were saying earlier, it's if you need to understand the blockchain in order to use something as a newbie, like your shit's not. It, there's like right now in today's climate, there's no way it's gonna work. And Open Ocean, I was actually gonna ask you this question: When you guys are building your products, right? Like best DeFi, like DeFi aggregator, cross chain, all this other stuff. When you're building that. Who are you thinking of as the end consumer? Are you thinking of like the end consumer, like, at, like as the build is going or like, how are you guys going about like, like, is it, we got to make this as easy and as simple as possible for people to understand what it is that we do? Or is there like something in between there? Because I feel like that can be something where if you guys have the end user in mind, maybe the tool is not saying that it's, it's, it's not working, but like, it's, it's, it's amazing. But I'm just kind of curious, like how how you guys are thinking about this? 
Yeah, that's that's a really good insight. So um, let me like roll back a year ago, like over just over a year ago to when I joined, like primarily we I think we we saw crypto and we saw Web3 as this sort of massive cohort of, you know, really educated users. And I think at the start we were sort of more pitching to these people in particular, whereas uh, sort of fast forward to now, our whole entire ethos and process has still been to be able to support the the sort of hardcore, the, the DeFi users who, you know, want to come on our site, use the cross chain bridge, you know, dabble around in perps and stuff. Uh, but our focus has been more on providing backend support to those sort of um, those windows into crypto that normal people would take. So, for example, um, you know, we do hear stories of uh, I do think, uh, first off, you know, onboarding new people into crypto is a big education barrier. And you're right. A lot of them don't care um, that the info that runs in the background. Um, but when when someone goes, yeah, you know, what, I want to start um, like on my on chain journey and they download their first wallet even if it's uh, something simple like swapping tokens in metamask right that's done on our back end um we sort of lend out our tools to like um i, I mentioned in the last year we have like over 50 new integrations coming up so our ethos has always been to to silently, you know, in the background, power the most essential tools in crypto, whether that's like uh, users going cross chain. Um, and, and that's sort of where we're sort of like sort of pivoting the platform now. Um, we still obviously have the front end open and live for, for those sort of hardcore crypto users. Uh, but I think as you know, time progresses and as platforms like ours um, sort of look towards the future, you know, we're doing, uh, you know, it's, it's not just the same for us. It's the same for, you know, other aggregators as well, where we do most of our volumes via our backends. And whether that's, you know, through existing integrations like wallets, uh, platforms, for example. But we're constantly looking at how we can, um, you know, tap into existing Web2 products that are pivoting towards uh, crypto normies. So, uh, for instance, like Revolut, um, they used to have a walled garden for crypto access where you could buy, you're essentially buying exposure to that crypto. But but now on Revolut, you can, you know, send that Bitcoin out of that wallet. So by sort of being able to, you know, I'm not saying that we're integrated with Revolut, but we're looking for opportunities like that to be able to facilitate those token flows and token transfers, you know, not specifically to Web2 products, but seeing how we can onboard those Web2, Web2.5 people whilst also still looking after the sort of hardcore bunch that, you know, come on the front end and, you know, make use of all the tools that we have available. Yeah. So it's, it's, that's it's, what, that's it's, <laughs> it's difficult because you've got, you've got to try and look after like, so we, we're trying to look after sort of both sets, you know, the crypto experiences and the new ones who are coming in. But for the new ones, for the new ones coming into the space, it will be more about, you know, um, probably using us on the back end for some swaps, you know, whether they want to, um, uh, stake some uh, uh, liquid staking tokens. Uh, the whole idea is that, you know, our backend facilitates that and we're just trying to roll it out into as many products. So, uh, yeah, a little bit of a pivot in direction for us, but one that's been really interesting. I think the other thing to point out, too, is I think the holy grail of blockchain is interchain operability, allowing these blockchains that are creating. And by the way, for DeFi to truly be successful, we got to stop making shitty products. You know what I mean? We got to stop creating... Um, you know, these get rich quick schemes. I think there needs to be interchain operability across the board. So what Flux is doing uh, is different than what Akash is doing. Now I can see Akash and Flux working together hand in hand as they continue to build these things out. So I, 
I don't necessarily think that we need to continue to keep thinking of things as as competition, but rather opportunity across the board. So if you're doing if you're a fork of a fork of a fork of a project, um, you're minting 100 percent of your tokens, possibly on proof of stake, whatever it is that that's a shit coin. So you guys need to start working on uh, figuring out how you can build a value add to the ecosystem rather than trying to, to divert. Um, and you go all the way back to the block wars. Uh, this is old. This is an old guy talking. Uh, when Roger Ver decided he was going to do Bitcoin Cash, and of course we had uh, Craig Wright and his shitcoin. Um, they took and really wasted. Let's hypothetically say five to six years of development on Bitcoin and around Bitcoin uh, by creating these distractions that took us away from it. So again, disrupted by disruptors. Um, so I think we need to really, when you're, when you're sitting down looking at a project you want to support or build out yourself, you really need to say, what value add does this bring to the ecosystem? Whether it's decentralization, blockchain, DeFi, FinTech, whatever the buzzword of the day is that you're going to do, what is the value add and how do I have that work with other projects appropriately? So instead of having, you know, I'm my, my bag is this bag and it's better than everybody else's bag, but it doesn't really do anything fucking different than any other project that's out there. That's a problem. So, you know, I think we need to be as if you're on this call today, you're, a, you're very early into the adoption. You guys are industry trendsetters. You're creating this disruptive te technology. So you need to really start thinking about, how do we build this as a community together and not be so tribalistic across the board? Because all we're doing is fucking around wasting time when you can be building something great that already is out there. So that's just just two cents on my my side. So I'd also say I'd also say like from the end from the end user's perspective, you know mentioning a fork of a fork of a fork if you want to get involved with these platforms find out what they're really about and find out what they're doing you know it's it's i'll make a comparison to like the electronics market right you can go out and buy a pair of headphones from sony but that doesn't stop there also being another 200 companies that are also trying to make exactly the same thing and get your money it's just about being able to to sort of sift through what you see. So I'm, I would also, you know, double down on, on your due diligence when you're in, investigating a new platform, whether you want to invest in them or use the services, um, because there are going to be, um, you know, so many spin-offs, like the uh, fifth Camelot fork on some unknown network, for example. So it's all about, um, I would think, yeah, from, from the sort of crypto expert side, due diligence and, and making sure that you absolutely, you know, 100% know uh, what you're getting involved with and what platform you are, because a lot of them, they, you know, they just roll open their token sales and then they go dead within two months and, and hey, how the devs have walked off with your money. It's also, but that's also kind of a big, sorry, please continue. But it's, it's also kind of the Trojan horse effect of, of, the, um, of the, the communication strategy that we've been uh, doing as a market, right? So come to crypto because you'll be successful. You'll make your first million or be, get a big house in the, in the Bahamas or things like that. And that's why people keep pushing for all these new unknown protocols that might not literally add value, uh, but, um, but give better potential returns, right? But it, like it's, it's also a thing because it makes it understandable. You know, if you have one famous protocol, if you have Uniswap, everybody knows it, even a newcomer knows it. So if somebody says, hey, we are Uniswap crone on this new chain that promises to be big, then it's easy to understand for them. If you are a protocol who does something truly innovative, 
then you cannot play with this this for that kind of approach and that always makes it much more challenging to communicate even to the broader crypto market where i think 90 percent of the people in the market don't have a true understanding of the technologies below and because like of the complexity aligns. So I think it's also kind of homegrown in how we build protocols, how we give them a name and then make it easy kind of for copying it and adapting it. That's like people are just drawn to copycats. I'd also like to introduce a, um, a related topic on adoption, which is, uh, let's call it institutional adoption, but, um, but I'm really talking about companies here. So this is something that we don't usually discuss it as much as, as retail users, but these are the same people, right? People work for companies and, and lately, especially with the, um, uh, with the ETFs, we've seen uh, like companies getting more into crypto, traditional finance mostly. Uh, but I think the potential is, is much bigger than that. And uh, yeah, what's the potential of this market? Uh, and how do we get companies to actually use these services? Because for them, the, I think there's mostly insecurity and, and, and maybe, maybe just being scared of the new things, uh, which I think is holding them back. Yeah, so for, for you know, banks and stuff, it's pretty straightforward. They see an opportunity and they jump on it, right? But for other companies and individuals, I think what's missing from this conversation is, like you said in the credit card example, what's the new thing that's really enticing, right? So it's not just, TFI is not just traditional finance, that censorship persistent, right? It's a lot more than that. Uh, show people what they can do with DeFi that they just couldn't do before. Show companies what they can do, like pension funds, for example, or other employers where you can literally get your employees to collaborate on a pension plan, collaborate on investment plan, collaborate on benefits, where you can do maybe mortgages and other loans uh, that are collateralized in ways that are impossible in, in the current traditional finance ways that are decentralized uh, in their governance, right? Again, I'm from the DAO background, but um, use all the different things that Tradify cannot possibly be to sell DeFi, but do it in a way that's understandable to people who don't care about blockchains, don't care about, you know, wallets and all that stuff. Cool. How many of you have a governance token? Uh, how many of you have a to native token in your platform? Show of hands. Okay, and 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 wait, Daniel. So that Flux does not have a native token that you're using. Flux Flux is a fork of BTC, so it's a mined asset. So our gut, we don't have a governance token per se. It's Flux that actually allows you to participate with the XDAO. So I, I guess you could say it's a governance token, but it's a, a fairly mined asset. Oh, okay, okay, so. Um, how do we think? Because um, I mean, we've 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 explored this at length in, in many different um, MC Square uh, finance spaces. But like, how do you guys think about like um, the role of a token within your ecosystem? What are some of the, the reasons that you know, some of the utilities that that it, that your token has that are unique that you think that what are you doing different that that other people uh, haven't thought of yet? I think it's important, and I just want to mention, I think we need to understand what the definition of utility-based asset is. And it's essentially, you know, you're, you're entrenching every part of your ecosystem with that, you know, in our case, it's a coin. I think it's very difficult to call, you know, anything that's proof of stake actually like 
you know, a governance model because essentially it's been created 100 percent at the beginning of the project. So I think we need to understand that utility based assets. And and by the way, tokens are good for something. Right. And I'm not I'm not dissing proof of stake or anything like that. This isn't that isn't a negative comment. It's a factual comment. I think utility based assets need to be mineable. They need to be decentralized and they need to be intertwined in every aspect of a project. So, I mean, you look at Bitcoin, Bitcoin, you know, people are constantly building technologies around Bitcoin. It just kind of runs. Right. So I think we need to understand for us to one, meet regulatory scrutiny, because if you think that the SEC is going to stop and say, hey, every single token out there is, 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 you know, decentralized and it's quite all right. That's not going to fucking happen. Right. So I think we need to understand from regulatory standpoint, from a from a uh, commitment to our individuals who are providing infrastructure, whether it's mining an asset or building on a layer two or whatever it is, we need to understand that you can't necessarily, uh, you know, uh, mess with supply, so on and so so forth. So I think understanding that there are two different cases here for governance. One is, you know, what I believe is the way it should be, which is, uh, you know, mineable asset that's controlled by the community, intertwined, truly utilitarian across the board. And then there are, you know, proof of stake based projects that, you know, create tokens 100% mint out of, you know, at the beginning of the project, and then they disperse them however they feel free. I don't think you can have necessarily a true DAO with a token based economy. And I'm sure I'm pissing off a lot of people when I say that, but it's factual. So if you really want a true DAO, an autonomous, you know, organization, so to speak, it needs to be owned by the people, procured by the people, developed by the people, and and and, and integrated by the people. So um, I think understanding those components are really super important when you're when you're talking about any governance model. But like, if you say that everything should be controlled by the people, there there is a lot of layer ones who are kind of try this true community approach where you can slowly mint the tokens through time. But typically, the, these are the ones least popular. Um, sure, you now could say that, okay, that just takes longer if it's like community created and you need to give them some years to build up the traction. But I think we have seen now several examples where if you actually have the funds to pay high quality people, then you can just be much faster to market, typically with a better technology. And therefore, kind of, you need to have to have funds early in the process. What? Then, then I'm going to respond to that with a question. Then why not just build, build it in legacy technology in Web2? Uh, I mean, because if, if, if VC is going to invest in you and you're going to use those assets at the beginning of the launch of the product, then all you are is Web2.5 at best. So I yeah, mean, it's, it's like it's in the direction of eventually decentralized. You use the benefits that already the system provides, the structures that are already existing, and then you slowly go for more and more decentralization, which means um, you have to also talk to your investors to say, great, you helped us in the beginning, but we would rather reward the users who will contribute in the future with the like the, the protocol earnings and the, the structurings that we are doing. And I think that's one of the things that most of the protocols like do wrong. They reward the biggest investors rather than their community. Um, but I think using what we already know what works and then utilizing for doing the things that we believe works in the future makes sense. 
Um, well, I'll respectfully disagree with that because I think I think that if you're going to do that, if you're going to take VC uh, input, if you're going to take VC money, you're controlled by those VCs ultimately. So I think you know having an understanding at the beginning of the onset of the project and building it out from the ground up, I think there's value add because one for adoption. I mean, let me ask you a question: How many products do you know of that launched, took VC funding, and are continuing to develop today and building out? Their products. I can tell you right now, there's so a few of them, but 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 right. But most of those are controlled by the VCs and ultimately the market makers and ultimately the people that are pushing people toward those projects. That doesn't win out in the end necessarily from a technological standpoint, at least in my opinion. Um, so I think I see your point, but to me, it's like I, I tell more people that come to me with ideas and they're like, "Hey, I got this idea for a block for a blockchain project." Okay, tell me what it is. Well, I want to do this and this and this and this. You need a fucking, uh, you need you need a SQL database. You don't need a blockchain. So I think we're getting confused with uh, these projects that are developing. You know, anyone can say, um, go back to the day, Long, Long Island uh, Ice T changed to Long Island blockchain. All of a sudden their stock goes through the fucking roof. They're, you know, this, that, and the other thing. They're being investigated the whole nine yards. But but really that is that speaks volumes because if we continue to keep letting legacy technology, legacy finance disrupt us, and that means from the beginning, right? Um, what's wrong with you? What's wrong with founder funding? I mean, I, I, foot, I foot the bill for the first two years of building out Flux, myself and the other founders. The community foot the bill for the first two, three years. You know, what are we got? Okay, we got to get a listing. We got to do this. We've got to raise money. We've got to do these. People are taking, and this is no knock to you, sir, whatsoever, but I think people are taking that legacy process, and that's what they let them dictate them on development. Why is ETH on proof of stake right now? Because JP and Fura and all the other folks that go to proof of stake, it's going to be scalable. You'll do this. You'll do that. It's a fucking shit coin now. And everybody knows it. So it, it is what it is. I, I mean, I, I think we need to really think about things from the beginning to the end. And, and almost it's, it's counterintuitive. You know, you have to understand at the beginning, you have to put the blood, sweat and tears into it. And that's community building as well. So um, I'm not a huge fan of VCs, as you can obviously say. Yeah, we, it's, it's, I don't I don't often meet people that are um, more ideological than myself, honestly. So hats off to you, Daniel. Um, I mean, one thing that I can say is like founder funding you know, is a great is a great concept. And I've done it on some projects, but, um, you know, not everybody, not every entrepreneur has that ability. And that doesn't mean they shouldn't, they don't have the talent to create awesome things. So, um, you know, just because it just, and, and um, just because something, you know, something has been, you know, uh, done over time, many, many successfully um, over time, many, many times over, doesn't mean that that's necessarily a bad thing. And, and some of the greatest technologies today um, have been built through VC funding. Um, so yeah, I, I can, I can see your point where there might be a better way, but it doesn't always necessarily apply. But moreover, I wanted to ask you, as I was just looking at your profile, actually you, you blocked me. Was that today? Or do you remember when you blocked me? I just was, I was wondering about that. I don't get no, blocked by many people. That's why I'm asking. There you go. I unblocked you. I don't, I don't, I don't know. I, I, get I appreciate that. 
I get block happy sometimes. So, because <laughs> you have to in this space, because man, people are solid trolls. But yeah, yeah. No, I, I and I get what you're saying too. And I think, but there is something to be said. Like, you know, uh, how do we contact the Bitcoin marketing department? How do we contact the Bitcoin business development department? You know what I mean? Like, I think, you know, if if there was more founders out there that would put their own whether it's sweat equity or actual equity into a project, Flux has 70 developers on it. You know how many of those, you know, um, came to the project themselves because they saw the, the betterment of, uh, you know, a better technology? All of them. I didn't go out and look for those people. I built a fucking superior product. It's a good product and it will be a good product. If you, it's the old adage, if you build it, they will come. So, you know, I think it's, it's people look at it as their, uh, they're going to take funding because they want to, whether it's incubation or accelerate the project and say, we need to get to market first. We need to get to market fast. How about this? Get to market with a fucking product that works. And if you do that, then the technology seems to gravitate towards you. I have literally turned down every single day for the past year for five VCs that come to me and say, hey, we want to get involved in your project. We'd like to give you money. We'd like to do this. Sorry, can't fucking do it because it doesn't exist. You're going to have to go out and you have to buy the asset because that's how it works. So I think there needs to be some level of patience or at least better due diligence and planning at the onset of these projects to understand you're going to bootstrap these things. You're going to build them up. How many startups? What I mean, let's go back to the standard VC world. How many startups get VC funding for a fucking MVP or a proof of concept out of the gate? Uh, none. You have to have a way well, but then again, but but again, to counter that, Daniel, I and mean, I've seen plenty of projects that were founder funded, and they've not got off the ground or got the traction, even if somebody built a nice, uh, you know, a nice usable product. So, um, VC so funding far. also helps in in mitigating that risk for the founders that you know they don't get crushed for daring to try and do something new. I think it, it goes. So mitigates the risk for the founders, but it fucks the people that are the ones that participate in the ecosystem in the end. Because ultimately you're allowing another form of control uh, to take part of your project. You know, when ETH was deciding what to do, they had this scaling issue. They realized they couldn't scale appropriately because they built an inferior product and they had a first mover advantage. They had smart contracts that were deployed. They had all this infrastructure to deploy. They needed to scale appropriately, okay? Do you think that for one second, Somebody, Vitalik or whoever it was, was sitting there and said, proof of stake is where it's at. It's going to lower our fees. It's going to do this. No, that was driven by the people who already had vested interests in the project, the, the JP Morgans of the world, the Infuras of the world. You know, th these people who were stakeholders, again, ICO coin, and people don't remember that about ETH, but it absolutely was. So you could say VC vc funded coin uh and, and i think that that drives them toward bad technical decisions and i think you see these projects that get large amounts of vc funding and where do they end up so you know i don't know i'm just maybe some I'm of them do well and some of them don't it's not i haven't seen any kind of success barometer or statistics on self-funded versus VC funded projects, honestly. Everything that you've I, been saying is anecdotal. We could do that. Literally. I, I could do that now. It'd be interesting to compare. One of the big issues, like I've worked with a lot of self-funded founders 
um, in my mentoring years through the startups. And they are all lacking a lot of, of advisory. Like they, they have issues in all parts and often they end up being a project that they love for themselves, that they build for themselves, but not for a broader market. I think uh, that beside of the money, that 100%. Beside of the money, which is a big issue, one of the things that the traditional financing world provides is pushing you towards profitability, um, like to, to make sure that you build something that actually can make money. And um, I agree that I would love to see a much more decentralized environment where projects get funded without um, a handful, let's call it like 100, 200 centralized venture capital companies in the crypto space. Um, and I would love to also know maybe what are the options currently for a startup to do it fully decentralized or what do we need to build next to get the decentralized community also better understanding what are the projects that should get more funding? Because I think identifying the right products that actually make something good is also still really, really tough. I think you're right on the money with that. I think, I think we need to see more incubation and acceleration. And, and, you know, one of the things we do with Flux is Flux Labs, which is, um, you know, we help products that are building on top of Flux and we provi provide them for guidance for legal uh, management advice and so on and so forth. The average age of the Flux team is mid 20s. So you can't expect a company to be successful uh, without some type of leadership that has that is seasoned and understands business development. Well, thank God they got me because I'm old and I know all this shit. But I think we need to work with other projects to provide that as well. And by the way, as these projects continue to keep growing, you will start seeing people coming from legacy technology. You're already starting to see that inflow um, coming in now. And I think that helps. I think that helps in the end because they will tell them, okay, uh, if you take this VC funding, this is what it means for us. This is the impact that it's going to mean. This is the things that we're going to have to to do, develop, and deliver. Um, and you're not seeing a lot of that guidance. If, and if you don't believe me, just go back and look at the FTX debacle. I mean, there was a lot of companies that took financing from San Bankman-Fried and uh, thought that they were... In, in the catbird seat only to be worthless at the end of it. Again, I can tell you right now, I sat on a call with Sam Bankman-Fried myself and he approached us about a product that we have and he wanted to invest in it. Um, and he was very aggressive. Uh, the, the dollars and cents were very hard to turn away, but I turned them away because I didn't have a good feeling about him and it wasn't in our eth ethos to work with somebody like was, that. Was he, was he tweaking on the call? <laughs> Absolutely. And I hung, hung that call up and I was like, that's a little, that's a little concerning across the board. So, um, yeah, I got, I got that same, I got that same feeling from him. <laughs> yeah, to, to, anyway. to add something to the conversation, I, I think that uh, VC funding is not inherently bad, right? I think that's a good distinction to make here. If, if we're honest in DeFi, in a DeFi project, and we're saying, you know, we're taking this funding, to accelerate the development. And we will create a token, which is uh, an incentive token, right? Let's call it that, and not a DAO token, because we're trying to incentivize users to use the product, to work on it, to develop apps on it. Then I don't see something wrong with that. What's, what happens is that, and I think what Danny was also referring to is where it's 
sort of hidden what's really the purpose of the funding, right? The purpose is to extract value from retail users. That's uh, in a lot of cases the core of it. And I've also seen this in, in the past, uh, you know, for example, I remember uh, back when, when there was not that much staking around, uh, there was a, uh, the outcome of the, uh, of the master notes for a lot of uh, proof of work projects that, um, that obviously were just uh, venture capitalists that, you know, went to people like Daniel and say, here, have a bag of money, but we'll want, you know, a master note from you. And, um, and what we're seeing in a lot of projects is just a continuation of that, basically extraction of capital from retail. Yeah, I'll just mention one more thing and then I'll shut up. Um, until we get to a point where we stop justifying uh, allowing legacy finance and le legacy technology to continue to disrupt us, DeFi will continue to struggle. Like we, we have to get to a point where we're super fucking comfortable with, you know, the unknown. And putting some putting some effort into these projects that is above and beyond allowing Web two to come in and disrupt you. So I, I I agree with what you're saying. I also am more of a maximalist in the sense that I, I think we can do a better job as stewards of our resources and not necessarily take the paycheck just because it's there. So you know that's that's kind of how I feel about it. But yeah, good points. So how important will be real world assets for that? Because if we say we just stay in the DeFi space like we did two years ago, then all the yield needs to come out of the DeFi products. And therefore having investors um, spraying money around that you can then give as yield is a very easy system that failed two years ago. And um, now if you say, okay, we actually want to provide quality, then kind of the, the returns need to come from somewhere. It's a very young ecosystem. So probably the returns will not come only out of the products of the blockchain itself, but it rather needs to become from other real world assets who provide them already. Well, let me ask you a question. How old is Bitcoin? And we're just now getting to the point where we have an ETF approved and we have institutional money coming into it. We're five to seven years away to where DeFi, once we get our shit together and we get it, get it on track um, and we understand it's in, about, about infrastructure and development, uh, we're, we're five to seven years away from this product being actually viable um, outside of, of this micro ecosystem. So I think I think it's just going to take I think it's going to take time. We can't rush it. But if if we continue to kind of, you know, what's the definition of insanity? You, you do it over and over again, expect different results. So if, if we don't say fundamentally what is wrong with what we're doing and we acknowledge that there's some fundamental deficits there, um, then we're going to continue to keep spinning our fucking wheels. So I like. Twitter spaces like this, because this gives us the opportunity, like we're all, I'm going to leave here with knowledge. You guys will leave here with knowledge. These are the things we need to really do to, to, to really push it to the next level. Absolutely. And yeah, no hard feelings, obviously. Like, like I said, at the beginning, people, things get heated, but um, it's, it's, you know, the idea of sometimes hashing this out, um, it really helps in, uh, in, in pushing us forward as well getting differences in opinion and stuff like that so um yeah uh what bringing it back to DeFi, um what are and uh what are some of the uh what are some of the yield strategies like how uh how do you guys think about it and what what, what kind of um yield staking have you guys done before and um any kind of unique strategies that you guys think would be 
uh, beneficial to share with the audience? I'll just add that um, I have been uh, involved in quite a few strategies over the past years. Most notably, um, you know, I love the fact that not only do we have liquid staking, we have liquid staking tokens, and you can then earn on those liquid staking tokens by LPing them as liquidity. You know, there's so many workflows for uh, extra yield generation. Um, I myself have been sitting in the uh, Jones Dow uh, Delta Neutral Vault for a while and the leveraged GLP, so shout out to them. Um, but I think there's there's so many unique workflows for you to be able to earn on your assets that you're currently holding. Obviously, not if you're transacting on a centralized exchange. Um, that was one feature, actually, we built into OpenOcean. We have uh, what we call an LST aggregator. So we have all of the the sort of major LST players added on the site and our community, uh, you know, through our governance portal can go and, um, you know, ask for, for more assets. But it basically gives you a whole entire overview of the LST uh, sort of staking space, um, as well as the APRs that are offered by various platforms. And we actually built something which is kind of cool, which is called, uh, we don't really have a name for it. We call it like the Open Ocean Edge. Um, but that's the, the, the beneficial rate that you get through purchasing the tokens through us on the open market as opposed to you know minting the tokens sometimes that rate you know is at zero but other times you know we can we work out a couple percentage points better uh, but there's so many you know there's so many opportunities um but I, myself i can't wait till and, and you know we, we talked about like scammy platforms and stuff before um but you kind of uh from a dgen standpoint you can kind of like feel when the the bull market's back when you get those shit coins at like two hundred thousand percent apr on the yield generation platforms and i'm like i feel like yeah the dgens dgens are back in town but um there's so many opportunities nowadays and there's even specific yield generation platforms uh big shout out to beef we're friends with them um that are just yeah taking taking those existing lps that that you know people are providing and then just providing more avenues for people to earn on them cool did everybody like catch all of that i was at like maybe 80 percent, 85 i think uh so am i speaking a little bit too quickly <laughs> it's just <laughs> well, a kind of the... flow of thoughts from my head um but i just yeah the opportunities uh for lsts especially like nowadays I'm, I'm specifically focusing on that because that's also what we do but you know for ordinary token holders um it there's i just love the fact that you know it's like but having owning gold in real life but then being able to earn a passive income off that physical gold except it's just you know wrapped up on a on a blockchain somewhere Okay, and and I think I heard in there somewhere my one of my favorite acronyms in uh, in uh, DeFi is LSD. Um, so yeah, yeah, I I like LSD a lot. What is what is LSD? Um, well, it's a really fun drug that you can have on a night out for a party. Uh, but otherwise, you know, you're looking at liquid staking derivatives. So, um, you know, users take their Ethereum, they can then swap it into, I'm going to use Rocket Pool, for example. So they swap it into our ETH and then that then accumulates value, um, accumulates the staking rewards from that value. Um, but then again, you can then take that our ETH an LP that you can provide that as liquidity. So not only are you then still earning the staking rates, you're also then earning trading fees from users trading in between the RETH and normal assets. And, you know, that's not just isolated to LSTs, LSDs, uh, whatever you want to call it. But I think there's so much more uh, potential around uh, LSD, LST FI. Uh, I think it's sort of burgeoning into its own or sort of microcosm, you know, within crypto. Absolutely. Anybody else want to share? 
Yeah, so so we do uh, do create strategies, but um, but they are mostly for sort of the more institutional customers that we have. So we have a team of researchers actually that develop custom strategies, and then through our platform, they uh, the companies they can deposit their funds. It's all self custodial, and um, and and take part in their strategies. And what we see people are looking for there is a lot of uh, things like a little bit more secure side of DeFi. So they don't need that. Not twenty percent or thirty percent. What they're looking for is uh, sort of market neutral uh, yield, so to speak, and uh, just get that ETH from the treasury of the DAO or something, and have some return on that. How important is the risk management for the institutional investors? Like, how do you communicate that to like your clients? I think right now it's the the biggest the biggest hurdle for institutional investors. So. If, if they're thinking about going into DeFi, it's probably question number one. Uh, okay, how do we deal with the risk? And and the thing is, it's very diverse, right? So obviously, it's a very novel space. So you got a lot of it's all code based. Uh, you got a lot of technical risk, you know, like a code that can be exploited, like we've seen so many times before. Um, and it's very hard to deal already with, with that uh, because we recently did an analytics series on this and. Um, uh, and essentially, there you can see that you know many projects they do audits to sort of prevent technical exploits, uh, but still uh, audited projects get exploited all the time. So while it's a very basic necessity, it doesn't really exclude uh, that much risk. And and then there is the the one that is even more difficult for for institutions or people with a lot of capital in DeFi, and that is the economic risk. So when I, you know, am active in the, in the protocol, there are certain things that can happen that are within the design of the protocol that that can go wrong. You know, they can be exploited in in a, in a different way, uh, or they it can be just just be a cascading liquidations that that ruin my position and I can't exit anymore. So there's a, a couple of those uh, situations that are disastrous if you're caught in that with a significant position, like you could lose millions uh, very easily. Uh, so this is something that we address very seriously. Like in, with our customers, we have uh, strategies for all the, for these kind of situations. And uh, recently, for for more for retail as well, uh, also for the smaller uh, smaller institutions in crypto, we released uh, uh, Risk Radar, uh, which is uh, basically our indicators that explore different kind of these risk situations for different protocols. Right now, we support almost 10 protocols and we'll be adding more uh, over the next months. But uh, I think things like this, they should become more standard for DeFi to be adopted by, by serious investors. Happy to discuss then after the, the space, if there's an opportunity actually to integrate it into our platform. Like for us, we see it's essential to when we share strategies or when we show strategies to the user to try to be as transparent as possible with what are kind of the risks um, that you take with the strategy or what this strategy has, like what the strategist has chosen um, with a strategy. Like the, I think that currently every, everyone focus on, on yield and returns. It's probably one of the worst matrix to show the quality of a strategy. Definitely. And yeah. um, so we always want to understand more about how to display it better 
and what kind of ways are there to kind of show that to the users and educate the users that they better understand what makes it actually um, a quality. Yeah, exactly. And, and this is something that needs to happen all the time. I think that this is some this is something that DeFi protocols should work on actively. Actually, we worked with, uh, for example, with Banky Protocol. I had a discussion with them, um, and and they are they were really focusing on this as a development strategy for the platform. So, how do we address risk from a protocol perspective? How do we make sure people know, you know, how how big is the risk in, when I enter this position and things like that? And um, this changes, right? So, if I enter a LP uh, with significant capital and something happens in the market and people start withdrawing capital. Like that's a different risk situation than when I entered and I need to know that. So these kind of things there right now, they're not available uh, to retail users at all and to a limited extent for, for institutional investors. Like what, what we provide with the competitions that we will launch in the next weeks, um, is an overview of uh, Monte Carlo analysis for each of the strategies. So you can easily then also see kind of in which direction can it take. And this basically theoretically could provide us also for a different kind of ranking strategies compared to each other. And we could even run competitions that are not based on the returns itself, but rather on the um, risk um, uh, risk-related returns on to see much more kind of who makes the has the good returns compared to the risks taken. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah, I, I, for those of you who know who know Chris, I mean, you know that he could probably speak about this for hours, and this is really his life's work, and that's one of the things that really attracted me to the project as well. Uh, is this this passion, and um, and as as I told you earlier this week. Uh, Chris, this is you can figure that out. You'll be doing you'll literally literally doing a service to humanity because I've seen. I mean, even even you know, um, somebody mentioned it on the space today. Oh yeah, I mean, look at you. you, you one of the indicators is when you see the two hundred thousand uh, percent yields, right? Like, okay, yes, but the two hundred thousand percent yield, like it, it goes viral because people go, "Wow, I can make two hundred thousand percent," but then they don't include the risk that number does not include the risk. And, and I've seen this in traditional finance as well, um, as in, uh, as, you know, a former uh, executive at eToro, we, we constantly had this issue where people would just like see the returns and like, they don't know like how to evaluate, you know, what the risk is in, in, in order to get those returns or what the user did in order to get them or what, you know, how likely they are just to lose their money because they're, they're chasing those those super high returns. So I think that, you know, um, if, if there's one thing that we can really contribute to the world of investing at large, I think that, that this is it, um, is to not, not make popular, you know, the headline number of like, how much money did you make at the end of the day? Because that's just, you know, there's, there's that disclaimer that, you know, as a financially licensed individual, I always have to say whenever I'm talking about charts, and particularly performance data is that past performance does not indicate future results. So just because somebody has at the moment or is projecting to have 200,000 uh, percent APY, it does not mean that that's what you're going to get after a year or with an investing, you're more likely to end up with zero 
and loss of your entire principal. So, um, yeah, I would like to see more realistic expectations being set. And I think that, 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 that that's not just a matter of numbers and crunching numbers and displaying numbers. Well, this is like something that we need to ingrain in people's minds and in, in the psychology. And I'm wondering if that has to do with the way that you frame it, the way that you market it, the way that we kind of um, push this idea forward um, more than just like the numbers themselves and the data. And yeah, obviously that's a huge part of it, but it's, it's, it's a psychology, right? It's a psychology of YOLO. It's a psychology of, yeah, man, I'm going to, I'm going to, you're going to get rich tomorrow, you know, with 200 times leverage, you know, uh, with, uh, with a hundred dollar investment. And like, how do you, how do you go about breaking that? I think you, I don't, I don't, I, I don't know if you can, but I think it'd be, I think it'd be I think this damn is like good a, to try. Like a role for the, for the protocols to the extent, right? It's pretty straightforward to add something uh, about risk when the user is taking a certain action, right? And recently, I saw something, I don't remember who, who made it, but uh, a popular uh, analysis company as well, they, they posted something and it shows the different, uh, the different ri technical risk factors of different layer two protocols on ETH. And th this is like, it was just like a little diagram with a few colors and super straightforward, but it helps retail users understand that they're not all the same. And that if I, you know, this one may be cheaper to invest in, but... Uh, what risk am I taking doing that? And and this could be done on all kinds of levels throughout DeFi. Absolutely. I'd love to get everybody's uh, closing thoughts specifically on this topic. If you know you have any thoughts, ideas, or things that you'd like to share within that, more than uh, you know, um, to, to add on 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 this topic specifically. Um, and then you know, if you have any other call to action that you'd like to make and where where what what links people should be clicking and stuff like that. I'd be happy to be happy to oblige there too. Well, before before I have to leave in in one minute, so I'll just say goodbye here and uh, go yeah, first. <laughs> but uh, yeah, thanks for for having us on this space, and uh, I'll I'll leave a link to to our risk radar under the spaces. So if anybody wants to check it out, uh, they can do that. And uh, with that, uh, have a have a good day. Great to meet you, man. See you. Bye. Thanks for joining. Right, Dexy, go. Yeah, I was just about to actually. Uh, so on this specific topic, in terms of especially, you know, people doing dumb or leverage things and uh, and trying to change the culture, uh, I think reputation and um, the prevalence of reputation based. Uh, DeFi is going to be uh, helping out with a lot in a big way in terms of seeing people um, build reputation of actually building projects and investing slowly over time and learning from them and kind of seeing that as your go-to as your example rather than these random meme coiners or whatever, you know, DeFi's obviously like yourselves um, becoming rich and then losing it all, I think that's going to change the culture, if anything. So that's what I'm looking forward to, uh, just kind of the prevalence of expertise and experts and reputation kind of sticking with you uh, in DeFi and in crypto in general. Cool. Open Oshi? Wolf? All right. I don't know if we rugged or if I can't hear people or what's going I can't on here. I hear you. Yes, we can hear you. Okay. I couldn't hear for like the last minute. 
Oh, okay. Yeah. Open ocean. Go ahead. What your closing thoughts, please. Um, I, I, I'll give a sort of perspective from myself and from the platform. Um, we're really looking forward to 2024. Um, I'm really, I'm really kind of anticipating to see what the wider results are, you know, from the Bitcoin halving and the general marketing in terms of onboarding new people into the space. Um, I think, you know, a lot of people have said, you know, especially price wise, that might be a catalyst for, you know, negative price action. But I think that, as soon as we see, you know, Bitcoin above its previous all-time high, um, every news outlet, you know, across the world is going to start talking about it. It's going to be this, you know, kind of fervor that spreads through, um, that spreads through different communities. And I think it's, you know, all of us here, whether you run a platform, whether you're an individual builder, whether you're even just a community member, I think we all have um, a duty not only to, you know, help guide the new wave uh, of users who are going to be coming into the space, but also to make it as open, accessible, um, and as sort of easy to access as we can. And I think one of the main key, key sticking points is education. So we all need to be way more persistent in educating these new users, making sure that their on-chain journey is a successful one. And if they want to dive deeper into the weeds, start getting more involved, you know, we hold their hands and we guide them uh, to what we've already been doing in this space. Um, so we're really excited for this year uh, as OpenOcean as a platform. We've got a whole bunch of new products coming out. Um, we have a new token launch on Arbitrum, a little bit of self-shill. Um, so if you ever need to you know, do any trading, whether it's on uh, BNB chain, whether it's on ETH or some really, really obscure network, um, come and check out OpenOcean. We don't charge any fees and we're really excited to see where this year goes. We've got a few killer, killer releases lined up um and yeah just just super excited thanks so much for inviting me here today it's always always a pleasure to speak to so many people and you know i've learned quite a few bits myself uh you know big nod to uh, decentralized computing um but yeah thanks so much for having us and it's been a, a really great space awesome glad to hear that uh dave closing thoughts man yeah this was great matthew honestly like this was really awesome um I think like these are the conversations that we need to be having. Um, we need to be having them a lot more often. Um, and I think we need to be getting a lot more people into these rooms to then kind of spread this gospel at the end of the day, because this is where the future is going. Um, but yeah, really, really great stuff. It was really a pleasure to be here with, uh, with the rest of you guys, Open Ocean, Daniel, um, and everybody else. But yeah, seriously, and Chris as well. Monty, thank you for so much for the invite. I really appreciate it. I'd love to come back. We'd love to have you, man. We do these every other week. And these are some of the best conversations that uh, that I'm having, uh, other than your own space, of course, uh, on a regular basis. Uh, Daniel, uh, parting thoughts. Yeah, I, I this was a great space, guys. I, it really it really does my heart well to see so much thought going into you know the next iteration of what DeFi will be. And you know, folks that are willing to listen to um, criticism as much as they listen to, you know, uh, pra uh, being a, being praised by, you know, these groups. So I think it gets back to this. We all need to start mining with our minds. We need to understand that what we're doing in the space is going to make a difference for the next uh, the next generation that's coming into this. So uh, very good space. Uh, you know, be happy to come back again at some particular point in time. Um, selfless plug. Check us out, runonflux.io. You can check us out on Twitter at, at runonflux. 
Um, we also have a great uh, Discord community as well. But guys, thanks again for having me. I really do appreciate it. Yeah, I'm, I'm certainly going to be checking it out because I, I do feel funny. The AWS is easy, but it does it does it does feel a bit sinful, honestly. Um, and then uh, Chris, why don't you why don't you wrap it up for us? Put a bow on this thing. Thanks. It was really an exciting space. I really liked the discussion and. Also, it was very interesting that it was one of the spaces where all the discussion was very fluently throughout the whole space. So that typically makes it a great one. Um, as we said, we run this space kind of every two weeks. We now do it in preparation of our next um, launches and growth activities. Um, we want with MCSCO Finance to create um, instant digital asset funds that could fully align with with regulations and we will be able to do that even with Mika and the SEC. So we are very exciting, excited to launch that. Um, but to start faster than like building up the whole system, we will launch for the next week also trading competitions where you can build a strategy, but instead of somebody can invest in it, you can then share it and can compete with others for who has the best on-chain alpha and with alpha we mean not only your yields but especially also the risks that you're taking so it will be very interesting and we have quite some partners aligned for that already so um, if you know traders who would like to create strategies if you like to join yourself i'm always happy to also onboard you ourselves um, to tell you what we are building and what we are structuring and i'm very excited to see so many great projects um, and also so many partner opportunities that come up through these spaces and i think that's one of the the magic components of web3 the composability of projects and that you always can work together to make the thing even better and even greater and I hope that soon we will surpass traditional finance and its credit cards to make it as easy as Web2 to finally overtake. But let's see. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, for, for those of you who haven't already, please make sure to join the MC Square uh, Telegram channel um, and uh, definitely follow the host account. Um, and, and of course, I followed everybody on the panel. Uh, feel free to do the same. Um, and, uh, and, and, and yeah, you could definitely, if you, those of you, you who are interested in trying out the advanced alpha version and helping us build this thing, uh, that's at app.mc2.fi. Um, and it is, it is, it is running right now. So go ahead and, and, and give us a shout if you'd like to, if you'd like to help us out and, uh, provide some feedback to be stellar. And, uh, thanks everybody for coming. Thanks for the speakers. Thanks for the audience. You guys have been lovely. All you monkeys and uh, and DJs out there, all you frogs and apes and uh, you know dogs and whatever you are, uh, you ever whatever you got in your profile picture, even humans. I know pretty rare these days, but you do come along every once in a while. So have an awesome evening wherever you are in the world, and uh, we'll see you soon. Thanks so much, guys. Alright, kill it, James. Motherfucker screaming out loud, looking for mercy before they find themselves working a corner down in Jersey. What could be worse? Misrepresenting the first come, first serve mentality, stuck in.
picking the birds. I'll be numbing up first before discovering what works, and we'll see what other kinds of trash is under the dirt. We rape and plunder the earth, sit and wonder about the worth and plate. Ring around the rosy while the thunder is served. Motherfuckers walking around here looking faceless, trying to make a living selling friendship bracelets. Dead ends dragging out the max amount of payments. Red down days got them acting all bankless. Yo fam, what? Check these token knocks. They probing this bear, flexing broken knots. I had to lay my soul down. I'm just roasting knots, and then to end a long day, eleven bowls of chronic. Never known the politic, I was born to frolic. It's been my policy to pollinate all over the plot. We got a lot of apologists jumping in at the top. We like to measure their velocity before they hit rock bottom. Over the impossible loss, it's all moss, and I'm liking the odds. Bond doing the morning, forming mycological bonds. Flick the cap, yo, the road is highly involved. Flip a coin, diary falls. Motherfuckers screaming out loud, looking for mercy. Before they find themselves working a corner down in Jersey. What could be worse? Misrepresenting the first come, first serve mentality. The teeth stuck in the burbs. I'll be numbing up first before discovering what works, and we'll see what other kinds of treasures under the dirt. We rape and plunder the earth, sit and wonder about the worth and play. Ring around the rosy while the thunder is served. Trying to figure out the max amount of dinner lay stacked in non toxic just to get a better place. Smacking on the hostage like the shit is played for keeps. Clowns, white knight, and all these Maybellines. They call it implausible when model after model keeps on ripping off the coat and going full throttle. Eats tearing apart your community. All these low hanging fruits bearing zero liquidity. Got a planet in reach, coming standard to each. I'm on the back ten stargazing after the siege. Commanding all the management to grab a few seats. And then we'll round up the beasts and send a messenger east. Y'all better sign a release when I'm bumping these beats. Hands up if I got motherfuckers drumming the streets. Yo, we got a few dubs, we got a couple defeats. And if you're coming for the king, you better have some of each. Motherfuckers, fuckers screaming out loud, looking for mercy. Before they find themselves working a corner down in Jersey. What could be worse? Misrepresenting the first come first serve mentality stuck in the burbs. I'll be numbing up first before discovering what works, and we'll see what other kinds of treasures under the dirt. We rape and plunder the earth, sit and wonder about the worth and play. Ring around the rosy while the thunder is served. Spaces. <laughs>